0: Cade Mila Folta, welcome to the Letter from Ireland show, where we travel in the footsteps of your Irish ancestors, visiting their homelands and telling their stories as they put down roots in so many places around the world. Welcome to the Letter from Ireland show. You're listening to Series 2, Episode 2. In the show, we like to visit the places of your Irish ancestors and bring their stories to life. Before we start, do remember any resources or references that we mention in this episode, they can be found in the show notes at a letter from forward slash two zero two. Over the last couple of years, I've noticed that many readers on the letter from Ireland mention that they have combined Irish citizenship with that of their own country. And many more readers are asking us what it takes to apply for dual citizenship. How about you? Do you hold dual Irish citizenship and would you like to? Well, in today's show, I'm very excited because we're going to speak with a lady who's familiar to members of our green room, and she is here to tell us about her experiences of gaining dual Irish-American citizenship. So I'm very much looking forward to hearing her story. However, before that, in this week's letter, we're going to ramble through a few stories, including two saints, a castle, and a tale of dual citizenship. But I promise we'll tie it all up nicely in the end. So let's start with today's letter called A Tale of Dual Irish Citizenship and A Little More. I was speaking with Emmett Kearney, a County Longford man during the week, and I asked him if he saw the TV programme on St Mel's Cathedral in Longford town the other night. An amazing story. Oh, that's a great story. All right, he said. And would you believe St. Mel's Cathedral burnt down on Christmas Day, which was devastating, but it was rebuilt over the four years and it took some effort. Then he says with conspiratorial wink, come here. You'll never guess who's named after St. Mel. Well, I'm going to get back to Emmett's answer later. But first, let me tell you a little about St. Mel himself. St. Mel was a nephew of St. Patrick, and he assisted him in his missionary work throughout Ireland during the 5th century. When Patrick built a church in Ardagh, in what is now County Longford, he appointed Mel as the local bishop. Mel then became the archbishop of a wider diocese of Ardagh and Clonmacnoise, and the cathedral we were chatting about earlier in Longford Town, that was built in St. Mel's honour. He's also a patron saint of single people. Now, that would have been all of us once, wouldn't it? And as a result, there's a strong tradition of devotion to St. Mel by many people from County Longford. Before I tell you who that mystery man was who was named after St. Mel, I'll have to mention another saint, St. Cullum Kill, who also forms part of that mystery man's name. We were visiting the lovely city of Derry on the north coast of the island, a great spot right on the border between counties Derry and Donegal. Derry was built on the site of a abbey established by the Irish saint, St Colum Kill, also known sometimes by his Latin name, St Columba. St Colum Kill left Derry in 563 AD and established his monastery on the island of Iona off on the west coast of Scotland. Colum Kill, who was a Donegal man, lived about 150 years after St. Mel, and he is credited with spreading Christianity across all of Scotland through his missionary work. Now, it's hard to visit a county or town in Ireland these days that does not have a church or abbey or townland associated with this saint, St. Colum Kill. In fact, if you travel to St. Mel's County, Longford, you'll find a whole parish named Columkill. Now, getting back to our mystery man mentioned at the start of the letter, his mother was Anne Patricia Riley, and she was born in this County Longford parish of Columkill, in about 1920. She was schooled and reared in the area, but like so many young people at that time, she left to find a better life, and I guess probably some more excitement in the USA. She arrived in Brooklyn in New York, found a job, met her husband, and together they had 10 children. However, although her new home was in the USA, her County Longford roots ran deep. This time last year, we were on our way up to County Longford, and we stopped off in the royal county of Meath. It's called Royal, being the seat of the Irish High Kings down through the centuries. Called into the town of Trim and the castle that sits at its heart. Trim Castle was built by the Normans in 1172 AD and is, I believe, the largest standing castle in Ireland. It is such an evocative setting and so many layers of history attached to its walls. A tour around the castle has been labelled as one of the top 10 educational sites in the world by the National Geographic. Now that's high praise indeed. Have you ever visited this wonderful castle? The castle has also featured in a number of movies down through the years. Most notably, it played the city of York in the early 1990s movie Braveheart. Although set in Scotland, Braveheart was filmed in both Scotland and Ireland across County Wicklow and Meath. A great film, one to raise the blood temperature. What do you think? So I'm sure you've guessed by now that our mystery man is Mr. Mel Gibson. I don't know what you make of all the negative media exposure Mel Gibson has had over the past few years, but it's hard to deny his creativity and achievements as both an actor and director. When Anne Patricia Riley, his mother, met and married Houghton Gibson in 1944, she reached back into her County Longford roots and named one of her boys after the two saints associated with her homeland, St. Mel of Arda and her local parish of Cullumkill. And so he came to be named Mel Cullumkill Gibson. And given that Mel Gibson has an Irish-born mother, excuse me, and given that Mel Gibson has an Irish-born mother, Mel decided to hold both Irish and US citizenship and the passport for both countries, as is the right for all people born outside Ireland who have a parent or grandparent that was born in Ireland. I guess that Bishop O'Reilly of Ardell may have reached out to Mel Colmkill Gibson to assist with the restoration of St. Mel's Cathedral. It was burnt down on Christmas Day 2009 but restored and reopened on Christmas Eve 2014 and now is in fine condition. It was the largest ecological restoration project in Europe during that time and it was supported by Irish citizens from all over the world. And if you, like Mel Columkill Gibson, would like to hold dual citizenship and if you're wondering... Where to find out more about dual Irish citizenship, go and check out our resources section at a letter from ireland.com forward slash two zero two. There we have several links for discovering more about this citizenship and the very best of luck to you. I've been looking forward to this slot on the show for a while, as we have here with me now today, Courtney Bain, and she's in the studio to chat with us about dual uh, Citizenship. You're very welcome, Courtney, and it's great to have you here.
1: Hi, Corina.
0: <laughs> Courtney, can we start with maybe just asking a little bit about yourself? Can you tell us? Sure.
1: So I um, was born in New York City and my father was first generation, uh, also born in New York City with a mother from Limerick, and my mother is second-generation Irish from Boston. So I very much grew up between the two cities, um, half-time in Boston, half-time in New York area, and went to school in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. And all of those areas of the northeast of the U.S. are are quite Irish, Um, so I grew up with um, quite a strong heritage... uh, sort of national identity of being an Irish-American. So you were very much aware of that Irish connection as you were growing up then? Yes, yes, definitely. Mm. And I was lucky enough when I was 16 to take my first trip to Ireland. And it, it was something that I had wanted to do since I was little. And shortly after returning from that experience, I was able to stay for a summer with a family in Mayo. They were lovely, the O'Grady family of Westport. Oh, how nice. Um, I decided that I wanted to become a citizen. And my parents were very supportive of that process. I was only 17 when I started the process, so that was a little bit young. But it was very easy at the time. That would have been 1986. And all you had to do, as Ireland is very kind, is prove that you had either a parent or a grandparent Mm -hmm. from Ireland. So and you, so you, you work then
0: through your back through your dad's side, I guess, through
1: my dad's mother. And, um, it was as easy as having her death certificate. Actually, I, I never even needed her birth certificate because I still don't have one for her, but her death certificate where she died in the U S said that she was born in Ireland. So once I established that she was born in Ireland from her death certificate, I had my father's birth certificate showing that he was her son, and then my birth certificate showing that I was his daughter, so you kind of have to connect the dots that way, and submitted it, and about six weeks later, got a paper saying, you are a
0: citizen of Ireland. Excellent. I'm just going to take you a little back there, Courtney. What was it like as a young girl coming to Ireland on a holiday? I'm sure it must have been so different from America. It
1: was very different, yes.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about that? I'm sure our listeners would love to know.
1: I think that um, it's hard even to, say, explain to my daughters because the world was a very different place even in 1985. There was no technology, so there were no cell phones, no way of communicating. I think about my parents all the time, how they put me on a plane at age 16, and off I went, and I had to get from Dublin onto a train to take me out to rural Mayo. Yes, um, how brave you were as I well. I had to uh, think: Are these people going to be at the station? Station, to meet. and if I if they're not, how do I get in touch with them because they didn't have a phone in their house even at the time? And different times. yeah. It was very different times, and I think that. It, you just kind of had to take a leap of faith that um, it was all going to work out, and of course it did. And they were lovely; I mean, the loveliest people. Mm. And I'm in touch with them to this day, and I've gone to their weddings, and and um, they've come to the states several times to visit. So I think that that was more than lucky. I mean that yes, to, yeah. To, so that it, it worked it, out. That it yeah. worked out. Um, and I think the. I, I think the lessons learned in that, I, I'll never forget the first uh, night when they showed me where I was going to be staying. Mm-hmm. And I said, Oh, this is a very nice room. And nobody else was leaving the room. And <laughs> I realized I was sharing a bed with two of the other daughters. <laughs> oh, my goodness. My sense of personal space at that time. And, um, you know, as far as me saying, well, I'd like to have a shower, and, yes, uh, yeah. you know, and they said, well, this is the tub, and I turned on the faucet, and the bog water came out, and they said, you wait <laughs> for that to settle down, and you scoop that out of the bottom, and then you pour the hot tea kettle over the top of the water. They're the experiences the... you'll never forget. But I tell you, they were just, uh, it was the warmest of times, and um, by when I left, like I said, I wanted to go back. I went back again yeah. to them the next summer, and then, um, yeah, because you were
0: very young when you I, I know from a lot of our readers that they're they're older when they start thinking about maybe finding out about dual citizenship. But you were you were a young girl when you
1: started the process. I can just say it was for myself. It was an instant connection. I just felt very much
0: at home. I can't
1: explain that. And I I, I can't. Well, uh, I,
0: I must say those words I've heard so many times from mm. from our readers on the letter from Ireland when they write to us quite often when they come here to Ireland, those are the exact words they say, uh, that they find themselves as if they have come home. I think the Irish are a unique group that um, many times
1: they didn't want to leave. And so when they left, they left a piece of themselves, whereas other groups were maybe quite happy to leave and uh, start in a new land. Um, But in the case of Irish-Americans, they took their culture with them in a, in a much stronger way. I think because it's music a lot of times, so it really touches people, the songs, the ballads, the poetry, very much emphasizing the lost homeland. Yes. It's yes. something that seeps into the culture in America. I mean, Irish-Americans are probably a mystery to the Irish because yes. you know we come back and we have this longing to connect and... And we, we're here every day and we're saying, and thinking, yeah, what is up with these people? You know, how come, how come they're uh, searching? And it's because, and the, Aust- I, I think our Australian listeners and Canadian listeners will have the same experience whenever you're displaced in a way, mm-hmm. um, when you go to a new land and those countries are all very young, America and Australia and Canada are, are very young countries everybody except for the native peoples is from somewhere else. So everybody has a backstory Mm -hmm. and your backstory is told to you. And you may have a backstory that includes grandparents from, you know, four different places. Yes, yes. And so you're raised quite differently than someone raised in Ireland who knows exactly where they're from. And they know their backstory and they're living oftentimes quite close to their their extended families. Right. Yes, yes. But when you grow up somewhat displaced from that and you're in a country where everybody is from somewhere else, everybody kind of, they, you embrace being American because that has its own unique qualities as well. But they're like, we're saying this backstory is also there. And if you have a city that you're living in, such as the ones that I grew up in, where there were parades for St. Patrick's Day and. You know, that's very unique in the U.S. I don't know of
0: any other group that has a parade. Yes, that managed to to get a whole day to celebrate their own. Yeah, exactly. So that that just goes to show how strongly
1: the Irish, you know, held on to their heritage when they did move to other places, partially because it wasn't always easy for them. And they had to kind of live in groups. My father very much... Felt that way growing up in New York City. He lived in an Irish neighborhood, and they defended their turf. It was not an easy existence.
0: Um, so to establish themselves, they 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 banded together literally. And and so that kind of um, sense of
1: keeping their ethnic identity, uh, even if they wanted to embrace America, which they did, and and they went on to do so well in politics and. In the military and the different, you know, police force and firefighting, all, all of New York is full of Irish that way. And they built the bridges and they built the railroads. Um, but they also stuck together uh, many times. I really felt growing up that the songs and the food and the expressions and were the- exactly the same when I showed up in Mayo, amazing it wasn't that unfamiliar
0: but so that's amazing that that link has has stayed there and so that i guess is what makes some people really want to check out the dual citizenship and see if they can you know connect back to ireland even in that small way courtney you, you mentioned earlier that you um really liked irish literature and that it had a special place in your life Yeah, I was
1: very lucky to um, go to a university in America that had an Irish Studies department. Uh, It was Boston College in uh, Boston, obviously a Jesuit university that had one of the largest collections of Irish literature in the
0: U.S. at the BAPS Library. So... um, did any particular poem, if you search back there into, into the <laughs> history of, uh, of that literature course, did any particular poem uh, stand out that you'd like to share with us, uh, our listeners on the show today?
1: This is very easy because this poem, I actually, uh, my husband and I read at our wedding. Oh, lovely. <laughs> yes, Yeah, it was, um, it's a poem by Yeats and it struck us both when we were Young and starting out—that what a beautiful uh, way to describe your life together—is putting your dreams at someone's feet.
0: So, oh, what a uh, wonderful introduction! So, take it away there, Courtney. So for us, and which poem was it by William Butler Yeats that you picked? It is "He
1: wishes for the cloth of heaven." Beautiful. Had I the heaven's embroidered cloth, and wrought with golden and silver light. The blue and the dim and the dark cloth of night and light and the half-light. I would spread the cloth under your feet, but I, being poor, have only my dreams. I have spread my dreams under your feet. Tread softly because you tread on my dreams.
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing that with our listeners, Courtney. And what a lovely way for you and your husband to start out in life together expressing that sentiment. Fantastic. Thank you. Thanks so much. Up next on the show is our surname of the week. Each week on the Letter from Ireland show, we will look at, at some surnames. And in our surname slot for this week, Why don't we ask Courtney Bain, our guest on today's show, if there's a surname in her family that she would like Mike to have a look at and maybe find out some more about? I would love if you could look up the name Sullivan for me. Um,
1: My mother has it on both sides of her family. Both her mother and her father were Sullivan's unrelated, (laughs) but um, from right down the road from here in McCroom.
0: So it seems fitting that maybe uh, we'll check out Sullivan. You can check out Sullivan, that would be great. Okay, well, that's over to you then, Mike. How about the surname Sullivan?
2: Okay, thanks for that, Karina. Yeah, I'm sure Sullivan or O'Sullivan is one of those surnames that many, many of our listeners will have in their family trees. It's just a name you come across all the time in many countries around the world, and we recognize it very, very quickly. as being a name, a surname of Irish origin. And in fact, if you look at Sullivan itself, even today, it's, I think it's the number three, yeah, the third most numerous uh, Irish surname on the island of Ireland. So it is very, very prevalent. And in fact, in the province of Munster, down here, right down south of the island, it's actually the most popular and most numerous surname. So where did it come from? Well, Sullivan or O'Sullivan, as we might say in Irish, is actually one of the actual branches of the Onok Cashel. That's the Onok Cashel uh, tribe that came out from around, um, I suppose, the town of Cashel in Tipperary, what was Tipperary or became Tipperary, uh, up to then they moved along with their uh, compatriots, the McCarthys and so on, uh, around the 1100s, southwest basically, down into Cork and Kerry, which is where you find the Sullivans for the most part today. So they were princes under the McCarthy's, essentially in the Oanacht Cashel. And when they moved down to Cork and Kerry, they broke basically into two kind of major groupings. One was the O'Sullivan Moor, uh, as in kind of the large one, if you know what I mean, large grouping, which is found essentially in uh, what's now County Kerry down around, um, I suppose, between the Barrow Peninsula and into, um, into County Kerry itself. And then you have the Sullivan Bearer itself, which is on the Bearer Peninsula. So two main groupings. And, you know, it's kind of interesting, basically, because even today, Sullivan or O'Sullivan is the most numerous uh, surname on the Bearer Peninsula to such an extent that a lot of families don't bother naming themselves O'Sullivan anymore because, well, why should you when everybody's called O'Sullivan anyway? So a lot of nicknames have actually come into prominence. And in fact, a lot of surnames, derivative surnames, have actually come out of those nicknames down through the years. But that's a story for another time. So sulawan the Irish, essentially. And it's kind of unsure, really, but it looks like, well, the sul itself comes from the uh, word for eye, as in the eyes in your face. And the Avon or Awan could be either dark, dark eyed, or it could be kind of one or one eyed. So uh, dark eyed or one eyed, take your choice there, basically. Um. I suppose kind of just to also say, if you looked at where you would find the extra Sullivans across the island of Ireland, and let's say you look from the 1850s onwards, you would typically, as I mentioned, find them for the most part down in Cork and Kerry, but you'd also find a fairly wide smattering, a bit further up into the midlands and so on. That's because there is in fact another Irish surname, Sullivan, which over time has actually become Sullivan. So, you know, it's very possible that you have a Sullivan from County Louth, for example, or County Meath and so on. But that actually has no connection whatsoever with the Sullivans down there in Cork and Kerry. So that's essentially the Sullivan nickname. Sorry, the Sullivan surname, I should say, with many, many derivative uh, surnames coming off it. And of course, a very numerous Irish surname that we find today around the world. So how about you? Any Sullivans in your Irish family tree? Well,
0: thanks to Mike for filling us in on the surname Sullivan. And how did you find that, Courtney?
1: Oh, thank you so much, Mike. I can't wait to pass that on to my Sullivans who actually are going to be
0: visiting here this summer. So they'll be thrilled. Oh, timely. And I'm sure there are lots of Sullivans in our listeners' family trees too. So I hope you enjoyed our surname section of today's show and that you made some new discoveries of your own. Well, that brings a close to our second episode on series two of The Letter from Ireland show. I do hope you've enjoyed it as much as myself and especially our chat with Courtney Bain, her story of dual citizenship and what it's really like for an American living in Ireland. Thanks so much, Karina. It's been a real pleasure being on A Letter from Ireland show. And lovely to have had you. So, Courtney, thanks for sharing your experiences with us here on the show. And of course, to all our listeners, thank you for being with us. And I look forward to having your company again next week on the Letter from Ireland show. Just before we go, thanks again for listening. And if you have enjoyed today's Letter from Ireland show, we invite you to check out our special membership area called the Green Room. You can find full details of the Green Room at a com forward slash Green Room. And remember, there, Green Room is all one word. The Green Room is the essential resource for anyone at any stage in researching their Irish heritage. It's where we delve into all the good stuff to help you break down those brick walls and connect the pieces in your Irish ancestry puzzle. You get access to online genealogists, extensive research tools, quick win training, as well as member-only access to johngrenham.com and a supportive, active community to help you along the way with feedback and advice. The Green Room is the perfect place to be for anyone starting or continuing their Irish ancestry search. So do come and join us at aletterfromireland.com forward slash green room. Well that's it for me and I'll be back next week with another installment of The Letter from Ireland show. Look forward to chatting with you then. Slán Carina.